So if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, that's where we'll be um, this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. This morning, if we want to name a topic in week number 10 here, it would be sexual purity. I'm not going to harp on that word this morning um, because it has such varied interpretations to us and a little bit of a mixed audience today, but we're going to see what God has to say about it this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. We read the scripture with uh, Brother Bob here just a few minutes ago. In May 1st of 2021, so this is a little over two years ago, a Pew poll, Pew-P-E-W, this is a pretty popular poll among religious organizations, hence the name there, Pew. Okay, it's people that are sitting in the pews, people that attend church many times will be parts of of these polls. And the poll states that half of the Christians in the U.S. say uh, casual sex is sometimes or always acceptable. Half of the Christians. Now, of course, these are self-proclaimed Christians, so that doesn't always uh, lend itself to what you and I might think of a born-again Christian. Okay. The survey given, so when they gave the survey, they defined this physical intimacy as physical relations between two consenting adults of the opposite sex that were not in a committed romantic relationship, meaning marriage, okay? So they say, within that poll, with that definition, half of the Christians surveyed, self-named Christians, say that this was sometimes okay or always okay, but it was overall acceptable. And I'm sure there's a reason for this thinking. You know, I would imagine, I can only guess what it would be. I can imagine the rise of pornography in our modern day America that is, um, that is accessible on pretty much every device known to man. I'm good there now, fellas. I'm sure that is a major contributor to the deadened sense of morality and, you know, Uh, towards morality and physical purity in the U.S., and many of us don't even realize we're even in that spot. We ingest so much of it on a daily basis in the world that we live in. It really deadens our our sense, and when somebody comes along that is truly pure and innocent, it almost seems like awkward and weird to us because of the day we live in. But I don't think it's just that. The survey also said this. says, not surprisingly, frequency of church attendance affects one's perspective on this issue. Now, could it be that the lack of truth being received and digested and applied on a regular basis um, in the life of a Christian, but also even just influencing those who would attend, whether they're Christians or not, could that also be influencing this slide to immorality? Absolutely, I'm sure it could. Anytime God's truth is taken off of the shelf, what almost immediately starts to happen, darkness starts to engulf the vacancy. We've seen that over and over again, especially in our our country. According to this poll, then, in our our passage this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, which we'll be in, when you remove the influence that comes from being in a body of believers, sharpening each other with the Word of God several times a day, we will naturally start to decline morally, naturally. In our passage today, God uses a particular word, to describe this phenomenon in this this world, the word world, sorry, this word, I mean, it just sounds evil. You know, as pleasurable as the sin behind the word could be, there's really no way to make the word sound wholesome and pure and good. You can argue it all day long. God just gave it a word, even in our English language. God just gave it a word that just sounds evil. 
The word is fornication. There's just no way to freshen that word up. What does fornication mean? Well, for our intensive purposes today, as you know, the Bible, New Testament, where we're at today, was not given in English. It was given in Greek and then translated to English. So the Greek word there is pornea. Does that sound familiar? It's related, definitely, to the word that is pretty common in our society for pornography. The origin of the word pornography in English, mid-19th centuries, is the Greek word pornographos. Pornographos, if I'm getting that correct. And it literally means writing about prostitutes. Now, obviously, back then they didn't have televisions, so everything was written. But even then, it was a thing. In the Bible, fornication is the umbrella term for for just general sexual sin of all kind. From what you and I might think of really not a big deal to what even our society deems as dark and devious and twisted and illegal in in a Christian nation still have, have some things that are evil that are considered illegal. But this is not the way... Um, I'm sorry, this is not in any way demeaning the wonderful process that is in the middle of all this, the process God uses to create children. It's a great thing. I mean, God said, go out into the world and replenish the earth. And he had a certain method to do that. We also know that this word fornication is outside of the context of the marriage covenant because physical intimacy is commanded in the scriptures in marriage. It's commanded. It's not just like an option. It's commanded between a husband and wife. We can discuss that more on Wednesday night. But because of this physical union, which God intended between a man and a woman, because it's so powerful, it is no surprise that the deceiver has filled the world with counterfeits. Filled the world with counterfeits. And it has become so prevalent in our day that there are, there are young people, even middle-aged people, growing up in our society that do not even know what God says about this. All they know is the counterfeit. That's it. And it's like the blind leading the blind. They're just doing the best they can to figure it out. And we know how that usually turns out in society. As our judge and faithful father, God has much to say about this, which we're going to see this morning, just some of it, not all of it. Much to say as we study this word, fornication. I will, we'll run through a quick, some quick scripture passages. They'll be on the screen behind me, so you don't need to take time to turn to them so we can get right into our text this morning in Ephesians. But here's just a few things that God says about uh, this act of fornication, okay, and the damaging uh, ability that it has. He says it is, in 1 Corinthians six eighteen. it is especially damaging to our own bodies. He says, flee fornication, run from it. Every sin that a man doeth is without, outside the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. It is, a, it is a unique sin, pearled out differently than some of the other sins that God warns us of in the Scriptures that would damage us, take us away from him and the life he would have for us. It's also in Mark 7, 21. It's one of the wicked intentions of a depraved heart. See here, for from within, Jesus says, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, and the list goes on and on. Pretty despicable company to be in there. Comes from the heart of man, God says. Next thing we see, it's, it's number two on the list of fleshly works that are bound in the heart of an unbeliever. He says in Galatians 5.19, Now the works or the results of the flesh are manifest, made known. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, number two uncleanness, lasciviousness, that's a host of sexual sin, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Even if you don't know what all those words mean, none of them sound good. None of them. This is number two on the list, fornication. It's also in Colossians chapter 3. It's number one on the do whatever it takes to cut this out of your life list. He says, mortify, therefore, your members. Kill it. Cut it out. Get rid of it. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication. First on the list. We see in 1 Corinthians 7, 2, it's, it's a counterfeit to something wonderful that God created to be enjoyed in marriage. He says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. 
God has given us a wonderful experience there within marriage, and it's really like a proactive way to keep us from this sin. God has given that to us. We see also in Acts 21-25 that this was a common practice in the ancient cities, and it's common even today. As touching the Gentiles at that time, those were the people that, that did not know the one true God. They didn't know who God was. As touching the Gentiles which believe, they now come to faith in Christ, we have written and concluded that they observe no such thing save only that they keep themselves from these things. Things offered to idols, from blood, from strangled, and from fornication. Prevalent in that society. So Paul speaks to it. When these Gentiles get saved, they need to keep themselves from the common practice of the land, and he listed those practices there. It's common, and it's common even today, and you and I, there's no argument there. Purity involves many things, right? Being morally pure means to have a clean and a virtuous heart. Uh, it means to be righteous, godly, redeemed by Christ. These are all the, the pictures and the words involved in this. Purity involves many things, in, including our thoughts, our motives, our words, and, and then our actions that come out of all that. And of all the areas of purity, we're called upon as a believer to pursue, to run after. Certainly, sexual purity is the most complicated and, for many, the most difficult. But every bit as necessary. I mean, God, God made human beings as they would mature into adults to be to procreate, to replenish the earth, to enjoy um, physical relations between a man and a woman in the confines of God's protected arena of marriage. God created all of that. And he made us that way for his glory and for our enjoyment. And he intends this to be this intimate statement of loving commitment between a man and a woman that draws you together physically, emotionally, spiritually. And in your adult groups, you'll talk more about that Wednesday night and teens will come out from a different angle. But the best life possible in this respect is reserved for those who live based on God's design. When a man and woman unite in a pure lifetime marriage commitment. You know, I've been studying this topic all week, and it, it's not an easy topic. And I think personally, from my perspective, it's not easy because I know it hits all of us at some level, no matter what stage of life you're in. Even if you're past the age maybe where that's not physically an issue for you anymore, now it's, you're dealing with family members that it's an issue. And it's, it's a strong temptation for the average person that's still in good health that still is in that good, whatever that age bracket is, okay? I, I haven't lasted long enough for it not to be an issue, so I don't know when that stops. Probably di a little different for all of us, and, and when exactly that starts. But we've all experienced that in one way, shape, or form. And it touches each of us in such a, a personal way. You know, as young people, as a young person... I can look back, it hasn't been that long, I'm only 50. So as a young person, um, I had to go look back in the books to, to remember it. It has been quite a while, but um, I was young one time and I was in a youth group even at one time. I was privileged to grow up in a, in a gospel preaching church. So I was in a youth group and I remember thinking when we would have messages on this topic that I would be thinking when I'm talking about girls or girls and guys and marriage and all of that stuff that was very exciting for me as a young person to think about those things. And I'm not even saying even in a, in a dirty way, just to consider the possibilities. And it is very tempting, you know, I went to a public school and high school and it is very tempting to see my friends experiencing things, to hear them talk about the things they were doing and experiencing. And even though they're, we all know now that they're exaggerating a lot of it, but, you know, um, to, to see and hear those things and to think myself, even though I wouldn't say it out loud, I wonder. Or I, I kind of would like to try that once, you know, see what it's like. Then, of course, you go back in the corner there because you know it's wrong, but, but you can't help but want that desire. You can't, can't help but want to try that thing that everybody that talks about it seems to think is just so great. And so many parts of it are. It's, that's the way God made it. He's wonderful. 
It seems like maybe if we just try it once, we could, we could safely turn away from it. No, no harm, no foul. Just experience one time. In our passage today, this is one of those sins that God says to his children, don't even try it one time. And you have to know, if you know anything about God at all, you have to know that your faithful and loving father does not say don't even try it one time because he wants to keep you from something that's fun. And he just wants your life to be miserable. Quite the opposite. You won't find any scripture saying anything like that. He wants to protect you from something that will skew the perfection that he ultimately wants for you. You know, we can all revel in the fact that God has forgiven us and we've had a long laundry list of things that we dove into, sowing our wild oats or whatever we want to call it, and God forgave us and his grace and mercy was so prevalent in our life and praise God for that. But at the same time, I don't think any of us would ever say or diminish somebody that actually tried to save themselves. Someone actually that disciplined themselves to reject those physical urges, the temptations of society to present themselves before their husband or wife one day, pure and reserved for them alone. I did it the way God wanted me to do it. I don't think any of us would ever diminish that as well. And we know they're not the same thing. Both people saved? Well, absolutely. If they came to the cross, we're all of a sudden on a level playing field. But the background is not the same, and the scars are not the same, and the baggage is not the same. Absolutely not. You cannot get around the fact that doing life God's way will always be the best. Always. And we need that. We need that emphasis no matter where you're at in that process. I mean, maybe you're like me and you came into it with some baggage. Praise God for his mercy and grace. Amen. But I'm not at all going to convey to anybody else that that's the way it should happen. God's way is the way it should happen. We're going to look at it this morning in Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to look at this concept when one time is too many. When one time is too many. He says here in Ephesians chapter 5, we read it along with Brother Bob, but would you take the first four verses with me? In Ephesians chapter 5, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it, not once, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Let it not once be named among you, he says. What a unique passage. First thing we see here, the one time is too many when you are following Jesus. When you're following Jesus, we see the Lord's example, letter A, fornication is total selfishness. Always. There is no exception to that whatsoever. Fornication is total selfishness. Now, there's all sorts of different levels to that. I'm not meaning to offend anybody here um, at all. What does he say there? He says in verse number one, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us. I don't think there's anybody in here that would argue that what Jesus did for us on the cross was a totally selfless act. Totally. I mean, you and I, we, we cannot list even one thing that Jesus benefited from that, unless you might think that he benefits by having you as his child. And hopefully you would not say that out loud. And I wouldn't. He did not benefit. Totally selfless. But what does Paul say there? He says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, how? As Christ also hath loved us. Here we have the example of selfless love in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, as his children, as dear children, as followers of God, are to exemplify that same love which is the opposite of fornication, the opposite. I mean, whether it be in the form of viewing pornography or some kind of immorality outside of marriage, in enjoying, you know, um, outside of marriage, you know, something that is, is to be given in that confines, whether it be 
Um, it doesn't really matter how you grew up or what kind of culture. I mean, you know, I was thinking of this the other day. You know, there are people, pornography now has become so prevalent that there are actually people growing up in families that all they know is pornography. I mean, they don't know anything but that. It's not like they, they stumbled onto it when they were a teenager. I mean, from the time they were born, they were involved in this wicked trade. And it is so prevalent, at least in our country, and that's all I can speak for, but it's worldwide. Whether it be in this form or some kind of uh, outside, you know, deviation to this, it's always rooted in us meeting our own perceived wants and needs, right? And it just goes from there. And the more we follow down this path of fornication, it gets broader and broader, more addictive and more addictive as we satisfy our fleshly lusts. And we just follow down. We just follow down, following that carrot right down the path. Path of destruction. It's total selfishness. Jesus' love was quite the opposite, always focused on others. You think about this, when you're involved in fornication, you're never looking out for the betterment of the object of that. You know, it's, it's always about your pleasure. You, we, can, we can guise it in all sorts of different things, but that's the root. If you took the pleasure out of it for you, you would stop doing it. You would stop engaging in it. It's a very pleasurable sin, as sin is. Right? Not Jesus. Jesus was totally selfless. And that's not to say, sometimes I think we can think that, you know, Jesus was never tempted by anything. We know that scriptures say that that's, that's not the case. But if I, he was tempted in all forms, like as we are, yet without sin. And that somehow he was just too good to ever be tempted by those things. We don't know that to be true. But regardless... God puts this sin down as something that you do not do as a follower of God, as a dear child of God. Letter B, fornication doesn't look good on a follower of Jesus. It doesn't look good. There's certain things that look good on you. There's certain things that fit who you are, and there's certain things that don't. This is one of those things that doesn't. And God says, let it not be once named among you. Not once. It doesn't look good on you. He says right there, as we continue on in, in verse number two, I think, Hath given, so Jesus hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a, catch this, sweet-smelling savor. Mm. God, God smells that. God experiences that in Jesus and just smells good. Just brings pleasure. Just brings, I, I'm, I'm pleased with that. Jesus' offering that was able to fully pay for our sins and give us a gift so unmerited, so unimaginable. That was a sweet aroma to God Almighty. How does fornication smell to God? What does that smell like? It smells horrible. It doesn't belong in the life of a child of God even one time, not even once. Smells like I know what Jesus had to do so I could have my sins forgiven, but I want to try it anyway. That's what it smells like. He goes on, he says, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting. It smells so bad that God says, don't even joke about it. This is how putrid it is to the Lord. Moving right along on these happy notes. Number two, one time is too many when it makes your father angry. Folks, I get it. This is, this is heavy stuff. But as you know, as I know, we cannot just go into the Bible and pick out all the good encouraging topics. Because what we do is we get an incomplete picture of who God is and who we are to be in his sight. That happens all too often, and it cannot happen today. One time is too many when it makes your father angry. Would you read in verse number five with me? For this ye know that no whoremonger, well, that's, that's, just a, that's one of those bad words right there. There's no way to clean that one up. That no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, empty words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. 
children of disobedience, that's that term for those in this world who have not um, f- uh, made that intentional decision to accept by faith what Jesus did for them on the cross, have not come to God for forgiveness of their sins, become a follower of his. They're, they're in that kingdom, the devil's kingdom, Jesus said. There's no way to make that sound any better than it is. They're labeled the children of disobedience. He says in verse 7, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Don't, don't partner with them. There's why. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. We see here, letter A, that fornication is defiant disobedience to God. I mean, the people that do it, God says, those are the children of disobedience. They're not you, he says. They're not you, the believer. This is not who this is supposed to be about. This is not supposed to be a description of you and I. He said, this is the life of the ones who have rejected me. This is the life of the ones who would crucify me again. When I told them, you either follow me or you don't. It's not enough that you want to be in my buildings or you want to wear my name. You either follow or you don't follow. That's the defining factor. He says, those people, fornication is defiant disobedience. He says, no whoremonger nor unclean person. Well, we look at the word whoremonger and it's a pretty disgusting word, right? Um, Almost sounds like something off like a science fiction movie. And I think that's really the picture that in our English language they were trying to go for there because that's how disgusting it is to God. It's the Greek word pornos. It's a person that is known for immorality. They're just known for that. He says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. He says, Not only that, there's going to be people that will come along and try to trick you with empty words. I mean, they'll give you talks saying, Pornography would be healthy for your marriage. Oh, hey, it's okay to have a few different partners. That's really not that big of a deal. You can always settle down to one when you get around to it or when you get serious about things. Or, or I mean, the list goes on and on and on of people trying to justify fornication and this lifestyle of deviance. And we put all sorts of labels on it. And we say, well, you know, I'm just... We're going to do this or that, and it's for this reason or that, and, and people that grow up in that, people that know no difference in that, people have not been exposed to God's truth on that, just kind of follow those vain, empty words. They follow right along, and even though there's something inside of them, at least at one time, that said, this just doesn't make sense, it doesn't fit, but they walk down that road, and they follow those vain words. They follow that deceit thinking maybe, you know, I mean, I mean, porn, that could actually be healthy for you. It could actually be a good thing. I mean, messing around before you're married, it's, it's good to try something out before, you know, that way you know you're compatible or not. I mean, you don't want to get in the relationship, then figure it out, whoa, that's not working. No, or it's your body. Enjoy yourself. I mean, that is the humanistic thread through everything we do as a lost person, is it not? in all of our goodness and our, and our ways to try to make ourselves feel better about our lives and to try to somehow approach God in some way on our own. That's what it is. All of it's on our own. All of it is within ourselves. And to God, he says, it's all filthy rags. You cannot do anything to come to me except come to me and accept what I did for you by faith. And that produces a life. And Jesus says, this is not part of that life. So don't go back to it. Don't mess around with it. Don't dabble in it. Don't experiment with it. Don't talk about it. Avoid it. Avoid it. It's destructive. He says, fornication is defiant disobedience. It belongs to the children of disobedience. And he says, letter B, that children of the light walk differently. You see what he says there in verse 7? Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Don't, don't partake in that stuff with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of life. By the way, if it wasn't a temptation, he wouldn't be saying this. You can't say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I've never gone into that. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. 
But can I tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you find yourself in the throes of this, today is a day to repent of this. This, this is not saying really anything. Paul is speaking specifically as these children live in an immoral and pornographic um, city here in Ephesus. I mean, literally, prostitution was legal and encouraged. You did it as a religion. These children grew up in this. It was around them. Everywhere they looked, he says, that's, that's, don't, don't partake with that. You're a child of God now. You're not that person anymore. God has given you the power to stop walking that, that path. Matter of fact, he said a few, a few verses before this in Ephesians 4 on the screen behind me that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on now the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness he would not have said to do that if it wasn't something we didn't, as Christians, need to do. My point with that is, I don't know if there's ever going to be a time in your life until you just physically not attracted to this any longer, ever be a time in your life when this is not an issue you'll have to deal with. You know, so, some have said, I've heard men say this, that if you find yourself in these, that means you're not saved. Well, number one, I can't tell you that. But that's not what the Scripture is saying. Paul is talking here to Christians, telling Christians to not partake in that, telling Christians to not walk down that path, telling Christians there's some things you're going to have to put off and some things you'll have to put on, telling this to Christians. These are not prerequisites for salvation. I don't believe. Number 10, verse number 10, sorry. He says, look down there, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. He says, as you put these things off, as you now walk as a child of the light differently, as you refuse to partake in fornication and covetousness, okay, and covetousness, I don't know what you, how you define that, but, you know, you can covet all sorts of things, even as the Old Testament says, your neighbor's wife. This is all in the same scenario, Coveting and desiring things that are not pure, that really uh, take us away from the Lord and our devotion to the Lord from revival. He says there in verse 10, ends it off there, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. If you will do this, you will prove. As a child of the light, as a child of God, you will prove to everybody out there what it means to walk in purity. He says... There is more than just what's written in the Word of God. God has now called His children to live that out. And by living that out, we are proving to this outside world what this actually means. Can, I mean, we can, all, we can all say this, and we know this to be true, that there are things the Scripture says, but we've seen people in our lives and other people's lives that have disobeyed that. And as a result, we questioned the Word of God. We question what God said about it. We question whether this was right or wrong based on what? His word? No, based on that person. We as believers or unbelievers, living or not living, but especially as children of light, when we choose to live God's word out, when we choose to heed his commands, it proves to others, proves to others what is acceptable unto the Lord, that it's real. You and I are walking in complete harmony with the Lord. It's a sweet-smelling savor to God. Just as Jesus' life, Jesus' death, the one who loved you and I so selflessly had that same reaction in God. Number three, and lastly, one time is too many when it shuts down your witness. I don't know, and this is just, this is just a person talking, Okay. But I don't know of any other sin that will take the legs of leadership out from under a man than immorality. I, I don't know of one. One time is too many when it shuts down your witness. Would you read that verse 11 with me? He says in verse 11, And have no fellowship, no friendship, no connection, no relationship, with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. 
But all things that are reproved, they're made manifest or made clear by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. What is he saying here? Well, letter A, he's saying fornication is a work of darkness. Let's just label it for what it is. There is no way to candy coat that and thereby change what it is on the interior. Men and women have offered all sorts of vain wisdom, vain and empty words to deceive you and I at the mouth of the devil that this is not a big deal. It's not a big deal. They'll candy coat it on the outside, but it's rotten on the inside and will always be rotten on the inside and will always have that effect on you and I, always. It's a work of darkness. Works of darkness never build up. They always tear down. Works of darkness never end in life. They always end in death. Works of darkness never create new things. They always destroy, always. How long it takes to happen, that's dependent on the person, dependent on the involvement, dependent on so many different things, but it always, at the end, no matter how much we candy coat it in our society, it always ends the same. It's a work of darkness. He says in verse 11, and have no fellowship. No fellowship. Don't talk to them. Don't hang out with them. Don't be around with them. With, with who? Who are these people? Well, actually, it doesn't say people. But all of these works of darkness are performed by people. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. You won't find too many people standing up for holiness and purity when they're knee-deep in fornication. Matter of fact, probably zero. There's always an exception. Somebody's going to think in their mind, oh, I know this one person that was. Well, we know how to be fake, right? Some of us know how to fake it better than others. God says the work of darkness, we're to have no fellowship with it. None. There's nothing about um, sexual sin that we're to associate with, to we're to flirt with. I mean, there's, there is nothing like it just really just to em, I don't know, emasculate a man. Say, oh, no, that's like the epitome of manhood. Eh, it's actually the opposite. Men are not strong because they're, they're able to engage in this sin. Men are strong on the inside because they're able to say no when other people are not. That's the strength in a man. And that's the strength in a woman. That is the freeing power and sweetness of a womanly spirit that is not given in to the temptation to commit adultery or to not require um, you know, the marriage covenant with the guy she's with or, or to not, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It really just takes our legs right out from under us and keeps us from being the people that God would have us to be, that he intended us to be, that he created us to be, but definitely saved us to be. It's a work of darkness. Letter B, fornication is not a believer's topic of conversation. I try to be really careful with this and not say anything more about this than what God says for this very reason. There's something about fornication that can so get in the mind of a person. I can only speak from a man's standpoint, but it is so intrinsically attached to the inside of a person that even when you think you're safe, it can reach in there and touch you where you thought you were just untouchable. It's not a believer's topic of conversation. He says there in verse 12, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Now, this sin has such power to it that even bringing up in conversation, I don't, I don't talk to women about sexual problems. I don't, don't, don't meet with me about that. Don't even bring that to me. You can talk to my wife, talk to another godly woman, okay? Because I am a man, I'm a human being. I've heard story after story after story of well-meaning men that would engage in those conversations to help some woman, to help some poor soul out of her predicament, and they get ended up drawing right into that temptation with them. No way, I don't want any part of that. And it's not because I don't love you, okay? These, these conversations have to be appropriate conversations. This Wednesday night, well, men with women, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's not right. Men with men, yeah, right. The preacher said, you know, <laughs> men with men, women with women. See, hey, we're laughing. All right, that's good. That's good, okay? <laughs> we'll have it appropriate so you can share some of these things. And I encourage you to do that, by the way. 
This needs to be talked about, but it needs to be talked about in the appropriate arenas, okay? Because it's everywhere we go. It is. So it's not to be avoided, okay? But you need to choose the right places to talk with it. Now, if you're a guy, come see me. I'll join with you in prayer. I'll wrap my arms around you as another human being, another American male that endures the same temptations you do, and we will pray through this together. We will get God's help with this, uh, set up some accountability for you, whatever it takes, so that you can rise up as a spiritual leader. Every man in this room is supposed to be a spiritual leader. Every single one of you. We say, well, I'm not a pastor. It doesn't matter. Number one, you're to lead your family, to lead your home. If you're not married, to lead your workplace, to lead. Men were created to lead. You're created to lead. So what is the devil going to do? Oh, he's going to create this whole world system to just make men slaves to their desires. So the moment you and I would stand up and do something that is so brave, so bold, so courageous, that guilt and that shame is just going to bind our hands. and We're going to remain silent. You don't have any right to say that. Oh, you, well, there's way better men than you. It's going to start attacking us. This sexual sin is so damaging to men. And if you damage the leader, you end up damaging the second in command. And ladies, that's not demeaning of you. God made men to lead. God made women to support and to complement that. So for, as you come alongside your man and he's not able to lead, guess what happens? Then all of a sudden women start getting out of their place. Well, I know what's right to do. I'm going to start leading. And we start turning the ship around and it's no longer what God intended it to be. Do you see how damaging this can be and is in our society? And that's, I can't speak for any other society. Fornication is not a topic of conversation for a believer Lastly, letter C, fornication will stop our light from shining. You see what he says here? Verse 13, check this out. But all things that are reproved. So we know what it means to be reproved, right? It means I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing and somebody called me on it. All things that are reproved are made manifest, they're made known, they're made clear, they're front and center now. By what? By the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is Light. What is he talking about? What did you catch a few verses ago? What was his title for a believer? Children of the light. Your life, your witness, your walk, your purity is intended, yes, to keep you safe and protected and to live the best life God would have for you. That's not a, that's not a positive thinking uh, motto, okay? That is the way God intended it, for you to live a really pretty great life in a broken world with his help, trusting in him, heeding his commands, staying away from what he says to stay away from, engaging in what he says to engage in, letting him live this life through you. It's a blessed life. It's a wonderful life. Is it full of pitfalls? Absolutely. But he's holding our hand the whole way if we'll hold his hand. We're in his hand either way, and that's a blessing. But fornication will stop that light from shining. Light is what makes people aware of darkness. In the absence of the word of God, humanity will slip back into our depraved nature. We'll rationalize our sinful ways. In our blindness, we would even begin to convince ourselves that some of this wickedness is good because we honestly just can't see any differently. We'll even go and debate the issue. Isaiah prophesied about this in the Old Testament. He says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They can't even tell the difference. They're blinded by their sin. That's what sin does to you. You say, what are you trying to call me? It's not me trying to call you anything. It's God opening your eyes to the situation you may be in right now. And how will we respond to that? This is, not, this is not a time to take offense. This is a time to say, God, are you speaking to me? Are you showing me something? That's what the time is. Folks, our, our church, this is, this is happening widespread in our church right now. Okay? Person after person after person is 
dealing with things in their lives that you all may not even know about, and some are reacting rightly to it, and some are not. You know, the case and the, the fact, the point of everything is we are all imperfect beings, right? And those of us who are followers of Jesus are trying to follow him as best we can, but that's really all we can say. We're just trying to follow him as best we can, to continue to grow, continue to improve. And it's not going to be perfect. We are to bind together to help each other as children of light. And there ought to be people in our congregation, there ought to be more and more people as, as we get stronger and stronger in the Lord that are standing for what is right. And, and here's how I know when you're standing for what is right. It's when there's an opportunity for somebody to reprove something that's going on that's wrong and somebody vocalizes it in a loving way. Brother, that's not right. Sister, that, that's, no, that's not right. But it's not because they're mad about it. It's because they legitimately love what's going on in here. They legitimately love the people of this congregation. And they have been walking this road with the Lord. And so now they're going to open their mouth and they're going to let other people know about it. That's being a child of the light. That's uh, what he says here, that um, all things are reproved, are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Not one of us in here can ever say that we never needed somebody to step into our life and to open our eyes to something. And if you've been blessed to have a Christian step into your life and to correct you when you were wrong, I hope you took it the right way. But either way, you understood at the end of that is, I never would have seen that if they hadn't said something. And listen, you can, you can poo-poo on that all day long, and you can be discouraged about that, but maybe we should just be grateful. Grateful that somebody in God's in the children of light, somebody loved us enough to tell us that. Somebody loved us enough to shine light on our darkness. I'll be the first to confess, I don't, I don't do this enough. But I have been blessed to have people that would do it for me. Um, many years, many years, I, I lived in vocational ministry, and we'll wrap up here. And so as a result of that, I'm just going to give my opinion. As a result of that, I was the guy that would work construction all week long for 20 plus years and would run the music and the youth and everything else on the weekend. And so I was the guy that, well, this guy's working hard. I mean, he's basically giving his life for free for our church. Don't say anything to him. We got a good thing going here. You know, it was, they didn't have to like me that much. I mean, I'm doing it for free, Right. And uh, given it my best, and my family was doing the same thing. And so the downside of that is I had very few people that were willing to come up to me and really be honest with me. And I really could have benefited from that, and I'm not blaming them. My point is, what about you and I? I can tell you this, when they did, I was grateful. I did not always react right to it, but I was grateful. What about today? Would you be that person? Would you be that light bearer that would take this, this idea of sexual purity, of, of rejecting what the world is promoting, uh, rejecting all the avenues of pornography and viewing on devices and this and that, and not be embarrassed to tell other people that what you do to protect yourself or, or how you reject this and that and, and really step into the life of somebody else? Would you be that person, that, that woman that would step into another lady's life and say, listen, I understand what you're doing, but if you keep talking to that guy and sharing your heart with him, it's going to cause problems between you and your husband. I'm just telling you. I've been down that road or, or whatever. I mean, just speaking truth into somebody's life to help them. I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll consider that. And I hope you'll engage in that um, receiving of that when somebody approaches you. Because it's going to happen more and more. This church is growing. And I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about the people in this building. You are growing. And I see this. You're becoming more and more what God would have you to be. And it's slow because growth is slow. All growth is slow. There's no such thing as turbo growth. All growth is slow, especially personal growth. And I see you becoming these people. And I'm grateful for it. I know God is going to use this just the way he says he'll use it right here. If you'll walk as a child of light, you'll help somebody. 
every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't mind just considering these things this morning, considering the Word of God. One time is too many times for this sin. It's too many times for those who are following Jesus. I mean, it's, it, it makes our God angry. It's too many times. Anytime we know our Father's angry, we ought to stay away. It's too many times when it shuts down our witness, it, it causes, us or causes us to be timid. It causes us to not open our mouths when we should open our mouths, to stand for righteousness, to help those. And we can't help others when we don't have victory in it ourselves. Where do you find yourself this morning? God's truth is so wonderful, so convicting, yet so freeing. And the freedom is not freedom to do whatever we want. It's freedom to know the truth and to know how, how we should be and who we are before him so that we can make decisions that count. This world is filled with people just living life the way they think is best. And our creator has laid out the best life here. We don't have to guess. We don't have to drive around in circles hoping to find it. It is here. He's a wonderful God. Father, would you open our eyes as no doubt you already have. Help us to make the changes we need to make. Lord, if nothing else, prepare our hearts for this Wednesday night to come together and to encourage, to reprove, to confront, to sharpen each other as we talk about a topic that, that hits us from all different directions. Lord, I pray that you would raise up men and women, young men and young women from this congregation who would be unashamedly children of light. Lord, their reproof of this sin that is so rampant in our society, Father, their living and displaying of a godly and pure life would be such an influence. Lord, we know it's going to make some uncomfortable. We know that. But there are going to be some who are searching. And they may not have even noticed until they're confronted with this pure life. Lord, would you help us? We cannot do this on our own. We are humans. We are prone to fail, prone to follow our own ways and desires. Lord, we need you and your strength this morning. Lord, we love you. Please help us. In your name I ask, amen. Would you